Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, we're back. It's Roadcase. Uh, really happy to be here. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I want to thank everyone for joining me on this next and new episode of Roadcase. We got a whole bunch of great episodes coming up, and this one's a great one, too. And um want to encourage everyone to keep getting involved with Roadcase. Um, let me know what you think. Send me your comments. Just say hi. You can email me, info at roadcasepod.com, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Leave us comments. Let me know what you think. Um, and if you can and would like to support the podcast on Patreon, we have a Patreon site, uh, patreon.com slash roadcasepod. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. So today I'm really happy to have with us Andrew Jensen. Uh, Andrew is the co-founder with his brother Alex of the streaming service Noon Chorus that was essentially born out of necessity during this uh, COVID period of show shutdowns. It's a service that facilitates streaming of music and video. Um, and super interesting how Andrew during this COVID time, super early, right after the shutdown, was able to just turn, pivot, and move from what he had been doing before was like setting up campsites for uh, festivals, uh, for people to sleep overnight. And now all of a sudden, he and his brother are involved in this new streaming platform for bands to get in front of their fans during COVID, which I think is really fucking cool um and uh they've had like really interesting artists they started out with like their biggest show was japanese breakfast they had kevin morby on there waxahatchee uh bully just to name a few um they also work with venues and promoters to bring fans of particular bands to noon chorus to see their favorite bands if they didn't know about it before um and uh we talk a little bit about how this is going to possibly affect uh, the viewing of live music in the future, um, whether that future is still characterized by show shutdowns or whether that future is going to be a combination possibly of both streamed and live music where fans are in a venue quite possibly uh, in reduced capacity setting. And uh, there are also fans at home watching on a stream, for example. So we'll talk about all those different issues. We'll talk a little bit about uh, what the next steps are for Andrew and noon chorus. And it's just a really interesting interview. Um, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. I know you really enjoy this interview with Andrew Jensen of Noon Chorus. So here we go. Okay, I'm really glad to have Andrew Jensen here from Noon Chorus. Hi, Andrew. How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. 
Thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. You're doing some amazing stuff here. So I'd really be interested in hearing a little bit about your background and how you got here and what kind of brought you around to Noon Chorus ultimately. Like what were the steps in your development and interest in music that got you to this point? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I can just dive right into it. I, I, uh, please do. (laughs) I mean, the company, the company is, is relatively new. Um, but I guess in the age of COVID where every day feels like a year or a month or Mm -hmm. whatever, um, it's, it, it feels much like we've been doing it for a much longer time, but, um, my brother Alex and I started it together in uh, late March. Uh, started developing the idea and then launched with our first shows um, in in April. Mm-hmm. And what you know, what we wanted to do was create. I think I think what happened was when it was like March fifteenth or sixteenth or something. Yeah, when, yeah, we all remember when, the day. <laughs> yeah, when when New York's because I'm I'm in New York City when everything started to shut down, De Blasio shut the schools down, and at that moment it just felt like a collective, like ev- everyone was inside, and we started to see all these live streaming events happening um, on social media platforms, and um, I I was watching one with James Blake. He was doing on Instagram Live in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. and there was 20 or 30,000 viewers watching something wild like wow. that. And wow. in the middle of the day and, and he, he stopped mid song cause he got nervous. He's like, I think this is the biggest gig I've ever played. But <laughs> it's, it's sort of set in at that moment that there was like, this was something that people were going to respond to that. We we're all going to kind of be in this situation. I mean, I, I didn't think it would be this long, but we were going to be in this situation together for a bit of time. And, um, that while the inst while the social media platforms were really great at i guess c- connecting as many people as possible um there was going to be so many musicians out there that weren't going to be able to connect with their fans and then mm-hmm. also not be able to earn any money because i mean this the the situation for music these days is it, i would say most musicians are earning their money from touring you know the yeah the, yeah the, yep digital streaming services and the, the way the recording uh, industry works, it's just not in favor of musicians. So mm-hmm. it really sort of set in and it, it felt like there was um, not a place for, um, I guess like independent touring musicians. I, I don't want to put a, I don't, I don't want to call it indie, but I, I feel like there's some genres that, that had live streaming and, and paid live streaming ticketed events online mm-hmm. ticketed virtual events. They had that down. Um, we were talking before this started about the jam band scene. Like they had that, right. They've had that nailed um, the dance music scene or EDM. They've, they've, they have gone to Twitch or, you know, figured out ways to maybe give it away for free. It's been a part of their community as well, but right. there pre-COVID. was, uh, yeah, pre COVID. Yeah. 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 This began. They'd, and, they'd already been doing this. Right. <clears throat> But there was definitely genres that just had not. Uh, yeah, the smaller artists, indie, some just hadn't really latched on to that or hadn't yeah. really had to, really. It wasn't really part of their model at the time. Right. So, so to kind of make to make that change, was cha- you found that was challenging for them? Yeah, well, I think, I don't know what, I think personally it was more like, I think with everything, um, there's 
they're um, just like in music, there's different genres and people compartmentalize those things. Um, mm-hmm. I just didn't think there was like a, a consensus of where these artists could go. They didn't have a home on the internet or a place where they would, where that, where those types of musicians would play. Um, the jam band community had, had nugs and things like that. And like yeah. I said, EDM had Twitch or other, other, you know, boiler room had been doing things for years, but um, right. that sort of indie touring scene did not have a place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it just felt like a, it, it, like a light bulb went off at that, that- moment. Is that what you were doing before noon chorus? Like what was, what was up before that? Like, not at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, ran, I ran a company called, um, contentment camping, um, contentment was, camping. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, my mother and I started it together in, oh, right after I left college. Um, uh, right after I left to Paul, um, it was a, uh, we did on-site accommodation for music festivals. So if you went oh, to, interesting. interesting, if you went to Bonnaroo or, um, we pioneered the Coachella program, um, lock-in, which we were talking about before, mm-hmm. like forest, we did about 40 events a year. So if you went to any major festival and you did glamping or any sort of on-site VIP accommodation, that was right. our, that was our company. Wow. Um, contentment camping that supplied that. And How was that was business? Exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Um, How so? Well, it was, uh, um, I mean, we owned 500 tents. Um, they would all be outfitted like little hotel rooms with real mattresses and pieces of furniture and linens and all that. Um, all that was loaded up on. Sounds like my kind of camping for sure. Yeah, I don't really I mean, do it, the hardcore camping myself. I do the glamping, so we need to talk. After like almost 10 years of the glamping and moving all that stuff, I'm like, all, all I want to do is the minimal backpacker <laughs> camping now because I <laughs> sleep in a permanent home with walls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you were into you were doing this. How long you'd been doing that for and how was it working with your mom? Um so we did that for, I guess, when was that? 2000 11 or 12 through 2019. Was that a family? Was that a family business? Uh, Was your mom into that before you, you were, um, she had, yeah, she had started it um, in the, uh, we're from Buffalo, New York uh, Mm -hmm. originally. So she had, um, she's always kind of been an entrepreneurial spirit. She ran some non-for-profits in the, um, uh, Buffalo public school system um, that benefited the Buffalo public schools. And she stepped down from that kind of handed the business. She started over to um, people that was, that she was working with. And after a um, trip, I don't know where, I think we went out to somewhere in California. I think it was in um, Yosemite or something like that. She, uh, she, we stayed in, um, some glamping style tents. And she was like, this is a, this was so nice for someone my age to bring in the kids. Um, why isn't this at all the state parks? So initially she wanted to do this glamping thing in the state parks. And mm-hmm. she, she had brought it to the New York state parks surrounding the Buffalo area. So Niagara falls is right there. So she had been doing some things there. Um, but that was only a few years and just the red tape dealing with the state parks was kind of a nightmare. Yeah, um, and this was kind of at the same time that the music festival 
I don't know, boom was happening. They just seemed to be popping up in every. So she was like working with state parts sucks. Let's work with uh, music festivals. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of the idea. I had gone to one. uh, I think it was coach. Yeah. I went to Coachella and they, they, you had to pay to bring your own camping gear. Mm -hmm. And then they had these like incredibly expensive Indian wedding tents and teepees, but they didn't have anything in, in between. So it was kind of like she already had some of this inventory and it was like, oh, that's a perfect space for that. And then, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was kidding, obviously, but right. no, it's, no, it's, a, it's a supernatural transition because there's so much glamping that goes on. I mean, camping and there's ob- there was obviously a need for like higher end glamping and someone that can provide that. Yeah. So it was just kind of a perfect, I don't know, it just she she called up Bonnaroo and Coachella, I guess, 2011 and, and mm-hmm. um they were like, yeah, let's do it. So she went from owning like 20 tents to 200 overnight. Wow. Um, and the first year was just chaos. Um, all the tents that we bought, the uh, the waterproofing had like glued the canvas together in the heat and just because uh, I don't know if you've ever been down to Bonnaroo, but it's like at six in the morning, it's like 100% humidity and a yeah. thousand degrees. And yeah. It's brutal. So, so it, the, just the, it got the waterproofing that was on the canvas got stuck everything together like a glue. That's like a really, glue. So we had, you know, and it was just like me and my college really friends. well manufactured canvas, man. It Fuckers. wasn't. It wasn't. No, I'm kidding. Fuck. Yeah, it wasn't at all. Um, no. Yeah. So that I mean, and, so and how'd that resolve? Just, and like, how'd you? That was an inauspicious uh, start to the whole to the music festival. We got it. We got it done, but that kind of was like the, you know, that was for the next almost decade. That was basically every event. It was just like, you know, it's not uh, if a problem is going to happen, it's when, and then you just learn how to like deal with them. I mean, you're working with, uh, it's, we mainly worked with hired uh, college kids or kids that had off during the summer. They, they would come on basically on the road with us on tour with us for, four or five months mm-hmm. they get free access to all these music festivals but you know it's it's just you're managing a new a new crop of labor every summer you got thousands of pieces of inventory six box trucks tractor trailers it's uh yeah it's a, it was an exhausting business but definitely um eye-opening and and yeah clearly with the challenges you learned a ton just uh, about how to do that well that's yeah. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, you got to see a lot of good music too, right? I mean, you were at these festivals. Maybe you weren't like super hanging around, but uh, inevitably you're going to have a lot of contact with musicians and the festival vibe. And, you know, you were in the, the, you were really uh, there, like kind of in a microcosm. I mean, you're doing this. So the question was like, how did you pivot over to this new chorus and kind of, I know there, there had, there had, no, 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 no. This is really cool. I'm glad I, oh, this is a super interesting. I mean, yeah. that you had that seed in your head, like you, cause you were always bringing people to music. Right. And now right. that ending um, was that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the scenario from my standpoint. Uh, how did this experience uh, help you to come up with something like a noon chorus live streaming platform or facilitation platform? I think this is a really good question. I think like sort of big picture, I think of it like what I learned from working with my mother, who's kind of like a fearless sort of entrepreneur 
It's right. just that if you have an idea and you think it's doable and you can, and you have the ability to, to do something, go for it and, and try to start something. I think right. like from starting a business, um, that big picture idea, I learned that from the contentment camping years and just yeah. her example. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's kind of an incredible mentor, uh, you know, both a parent, but also a business mentor. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was sort of instilled in me, you know, um, because of her. Is she um, involved in Noon Chorus, just incidentally? No, no. I mean, uh, well, I mean, she's like always, I mean, she's retired now because we sold um, Contentment Camping, but right. uh, she's one of those restless sort of, you know, always has to be doing something type. So yeah, she's, yeah. you know, she's very much like our closest advisor. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And I don't know, you work with your brother with noon chorus. I did, did we mention that already? I just wanted to make that clear. So it's interesting kind of family yeah. connection stuff, you know? Yeah. I think that was probably another big part of it is, was that, I mean, I'm sure he, he's got a lot of that spirit from her as well. Alex uh, lives in Chicago, but at the, and, and, let me just be clear, like the, maybe the, I, I kind of put the idea in his head, but none of this would be possible if it was not, if it wasn't for Alex, like he is the, um, you hear that Alex? He, yeah, I know. Right. He, uh, <laughs> I'll send him a clip of this after but he, <laughs> well, uh, I'm hoping he'd listen to this at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, um, I'm sure he will. He, uh, he is kind of the tech brains behind it all. He put the whole, platform together right. he built he built the website he um he has done all that so it's it's very sort of a and how quickly he was able to do it um very impressive his background is in um video production and web development so he had had some experience in live streaming before this but oh, okay um um he's just very i don't know he's got this um ability to when he wants to do something he can he like learns everything about that subject and figures figures out how to make it work, which I think is rare these days. Yeah. Well, that's a key element in doing this because it's so fascinating that, you know, you were, so let's go back. You were watching the James Blake thing. The whole biggest, like the fascination is that all of us, you know, you were able to just turn this on a dime and then go, Hey, there's a better way of doing this. Let's, get artists in front of their fans because this thing's going to shit and live shows are already shut down. You're watching this, um, this stream. Was that when the kind of idea came to you? Yeah. I think the idea came watching that show and like very early on in March and saying like, Oh, this is, this could be something. Um, and I think just given how psyched the chat was and the fan base was when watching that, I was like, yeah, we're going to be starved for this. Um, it's a tough time. And like music has this unbelievable, that's what I learned from the festivals as well. It's got this unbelievable ability to sort of bring people together, bring people together, man. That's what I miss, man. That's that's the biggest thing that I miss, you know? But, and I know, like I say this to all our clients, that the virtual experience is never going to replace that in-person experience, but it's, it's pretty incredible when you get a couple thousand people on there and they're, and they're chatting away and they love something. And it's just like, it's amazing. It's as close as you're going to get. Yeah, it really is. And it, and it's a, you know, it's a welcome and that's what music is. It's like a welcome distraction, whatever your, I think whatever entertainment you're into, whether it's sports or music or something like that, it's, it transcends us from, 
the day-to-day life and reminds us like what is so great about life. And I think music has that unbelievable ability to do that, to connect people of all different races and genders and creeds and religions and all these things Um, and just bring people together and kind of be that distraction, you know, that that may be, that may be needed right now. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. (laughs) That's why I'm doing this because of music, man. It's the greatest thing. Yeah. And I remember those first streams in March and, uh, and in April when I was like, fuck, you know, we gotta, we're not going to get back to this, but you know, I had that kind of buzz after you see those things and, uh, not only the music, uh, that almost goes without saying it's the music is always there. It's the, it's also the community it's, uh, musicians, uh, getting their message out to their fans and fans interacting with one another. I mean, I'm not a show talker. <laughs> I'm not going to talk during a show, but uh, hey, I like to participate in the chat during uh, during it and talking to other fans. And hey, yeah. wow, this you know, <laughs> Derek's really killing it, or you know, right, whatever right. it is. It's it's super fun, and that creates a buzz all on its own. I wonder if all those people in the chat are show talkers, though. You know, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good poll. Let's do a noon chorus poll. We like, can we're do trying that. to figure out what's the demographic. Do you usually <laughs> talk during shows? I don't know. I do like talk. I mean, I kind of like. Okay, I'm a show talker now, and I'm 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 really conscious. If I'm in the chat, I'm really conscious that I, I could be f- completely and utterly focused on the music. But this is kind of fun, you know. I mean, yeah, I, and it's, it's not it's like it's not show talking when I'm in the chat. I hear you. And it's also like, it, like, God, I, like social life has gone out the window. Right. So like, that is like your moment to connect with your fellow people. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Precisely. That's, and it's, it's that kind of feeling of community. I mean, we talk a lot here uh, about bands needing to connect with fans and really the heart of my podcast is about live music experience and how musicians connect with their fans and their fan base and what that feels like and how integral it is to um, a musician's career, not only to their livelihood, but to their creative process. And uh, that notwithstanding, yes, touring is part of the business and is how they make money, but it's also how they get in front of fans, what that energy is like. And that propels the touring industry to continue to move forward. And obviously in absence of this, uh, we've got streams. And so how did you do such a quick turnaround to make this all happen? Um, And yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Well, I mean, the technology I think we talked about in the beginning has been there for a while. So I don't think it's like, it's not a novel idea to, monetize live streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and again, credit to Alex to like figure it out and launch it quickly um, to figure out something that was, I think that's kind of the beauty of noon chorus is it doesn't have a ton of bells and whistles. It's like a very sort of simple, um, clean looking thing. Yeah. So um, for him to just be able to launch that uh, or build that quickly was key. Uh, but again, it's not, it's not something um, that we necessarily had to build from scratch because a lot of the components had existed, but it was more about building something that um, I think goes back to what I was saying as well in the beginning is, is building like a home for certain musicians, making it feel like a place that not only the musicians would want to come to, but also the fans of those musicians would want to come to. Mm -hmm. So it was very important for us to build something that didn't 
Um, I think a lot of these platforms are designed to look, uh, they're, they're advertised to maybe the managers or the agents or whoever the artist team is as a tool for their artists. We wanted to create almost like a digital venue where um, it was it was sort of very B to C in the sense that it was, you know, consumer facing and and a place right. that this fan base would want to come back and they would say, oh my gosh, they have this artist too. Yeah, I would buy tickets for not just the one I was directed here to, but you know. Yeah, yeah. And so um, go ahead. Sorry. What are the key elements of that community? Like, if you said you want to create a place for artists that feel at home. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think that's what you said. Um, what, well, what is it about your, your service that does that? I think um, we talked about Twitch, for example, um, mm-hmm. or, or, or the, the um, social media platforms as well. They have many other uh, uh, users on there that are not music driven, or if there is music on there, it's all sorts of different genres. And, it can be easy, especially for these smaller artists who have dedicated fan bases, but they're, you know, they're still not huge touring musicians or huge national acts um, to get lost in something like that. So yeah. creating a space that kind of amplified them and, and uh, didn't allow them to get lost in the noise of other things going on on the internet. Right. So is it genre friendly, would you say, or genre uh, yeah. focused? Um, or has it we, become that way? Did you, did you start out that way? No, um, no, it was really, uh, and it is, it's, it's open to any musician. I think with the intent of focusing on, um, musicians that particularly rely on touring for their income and, and trying to find a way to help them replace that was, mm-hmm. was, it, that was, that was the key motive behind it. Yeah. I mean, but I looked at the artist lineup and it's primarily indie artists. It seems to like that just kind of happens naturally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what you're saying is you're describing a reason why artists would come. Uh, and then that sort of implies that certain types of artists do show up. And if you look over the list, they seem to have some commonalities in that regard. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just wondering what your, no. what your thoughts are on that. I think we we're not intentionally curating it by any means. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it sort of self perpetuates itself in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Our first, our first art major artist was sub pops bully. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. New and album. yeah, great new album. She's done a couple shows with us. Um, mm-hmm. She's on a manager. Uh, she's managed by a company called 10 Adams. Um, uh-huh. And they kind of, they kind of took a chance on us. And we owe them a lot, but, you know, they represent artists like Whitney and Japanese Breakfast and the Mountain Goats. and Right. So it sort of sn- it starts to snowball because all of those guys you've had on are going to have on. And they've referred us to um, Ryan and, and his crew at 10 Adams has referred us to right. many of their contacts in the industry. And, you know, we have a we have them to thank for a lot of the success because they took they were sort of the first ones to take a chance. But that has sort of um, allowed us to or that has sort of carved out our niche because of the first few artists that we had. I think Mm -hmm. as well, we knew that it needed to be, uh, it needed to feel as if it were curated in a way and it would follow a path that it needed to, depending on who the first few artists were. But, um, and that's what it's done. How do you control the sound quality and how does that, how does that work with the band? Like how do they, um, 
like what's what does it technically look like? Do you send cameras to them? Do you send a crew to them? Do they provide their own crew? Are they just shooting with um, a phone? What's what's up with the the whole technical side? It kind of runs the gamut. So in the beginning, we well we were all in lockdown more or less, and and um, all these musicians were at home, so they were using what they had at their disposal there, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was their computers or their phones. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And that made for a very interesting time because it was cool to see an artist in a different space, but you've seen the streams. Um, some of them were good and some of them were not um, because of just the fact that you're using a MacBook to, or, or your laptop or whatever it is to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to stream. Um, they, they could be lower sound quality or lower video quality. Um, then we, Sort we we realized that there uh, there was equipment that we could rent um, that was cameras and things like that specifically for live streaming. So we started renting to those artists that were interested um, to improve the at home live stream experience. We still do that, um, and renting, now it, renting cameras. Yeah, um, and so who we, operates them? They come. They, the artists come to a particular studio to to do that. No, I mean they're 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 very small. Um, uh, it, it it's more or less like what you have in your phone. Um, yeah, yeah. A, a, a high quality small little camera, mm-hmm. a really a really good microphone, and then the option to hardwire that with Ethernet as well as connect some more advanced audio capture devices like your. So you, and you'll send that to an artist. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. If they want to rent it. Um, that has actually declined because as we've moved further into this, um, touring has not come back and live streaming right. has continued to become, it's become less of this like interesting new idea and more of a mainstay yeah. recently. And That's artists are, are, are putting a lot more into the production value of the streams. So they're doing them from unique locations with professional film crews and doing them from, venues who already have had live streaming established. Um, right. Right. So, um, the production value has gone up tremendously and the quality has gotten so much better. Really what we do is just kind of provide the, the, um, the video player, um, and the ticketing service for the artist to direct that stream to no matter the, uh, the, uh, way that they, produce it whether it's at home or in a, in a right so they generally pre-record these performances and then they send it to you and then you stream it on your site some yes some are rec- are recorded live with incredibly high production value um right. from venues and locations so it's um now it's kind of an equal balance of what of what's being done and really again it's i think all of this has to be framed as like what's available given the situation right yeah, so yeah, yeah can the artist safely go to a venue and film it live with a crew or is it safer to do it with um, a smaller crew pre-record it? Um, so it really, it really depends on. Um, yeah. I saw a quiet, small, intimate thing with uh, Kevin Morby when he played um, the Oh my God album. Yeah. I guess he was in his living room or it yeah. seemed like it was super intimate, but the sound was really good. Why are you smiling? <laughs> no, I, because uh, it's funny. Cause like his, his girlfriend, Katie Crutchfield is yep. Waxahachie yeah, and yeah. she performed from that same living room, like very early on. on oh, cool, so cool, that living cool. room is kind of like a, that's their like performance a, space. 
Well, it's like a special place space for noon chorus too, because we've had oh, two really, really cool. cool series. Uh, but he and used he, one of those cameras actually that we rented him. So. Oh, he did. Yeah, I was wondering how he was shooting that. That was it. Really came out well, and I think the oh, uh, the sound yeah. quality was really uh, was really excellent. Yeah, they have a nice built in, um, and you can connect different audio interface. So, yeah, that right. was a cool series. He did those from his living room, and then the last one he did a. Uh, the record uh, release, right? Of yeah, Sundowner. yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that was that was really uh, really cool. Really, I, yeah. I enjoyed that. Um, and you kind of get a twofer with him and Katie. <laughs> I know that's yeah, that's pretty. Cool. Obviously, you saw he brought her out for like the la- at the end of Oh My God, that was really yeah. cool. Like yeah. where's Katie? And then he like leaves the room for a little bit and then comes back. <laughs> it was super cool. I mean, I know, you know, I know. The, all this stuff is just kind of like live off the cuff kind of things that happen, and it's you know, to add that kind of unique piece that performers can provide, uh, fans are really interested in seeing, um, something that they don't ordinarily see, which is yeah. great, which is great. They're, they're a super unique, like, I, I love using the both of them as, as like a proof of concept. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw early on, but before K- Katie did hers in June, she did mm-hmm. like five shows with us. Um, uh, one for each album, just like Kevin did. Um, and then did she culminate it with the the record he, release with the St. Cloud? Yeah, she did. And that, that was, was really cool. So that like was Kevin incredible. was like, I'm doing that too. Right. And Kevin actually came out and did like an encore with her for the St. Cloud one. But oh, right on. Kevin, they were doing. That is. I, yeah, it's unbelievable, damn, isn't it? Unbelievable. And oh. like that whole band, the guys from Bonnie Dune and like that whole, yeah, hats off to everyone that worked on that record. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. Totally, Katie, totally. Katie deserves so totally. much credit for it um it's amazing um what was i saying oh they did they were doing the instagram shows um like a weekly rodeo thing the two of them mm-hmm. and it was incredible it was it was like the way they're connecting with people i think similar to the thing that i saw with james blake it was like one of the they were the one of the early adapters to right. to do that and um tons of people were tuning in but what was incredible is they moved to the paid option with us and they still were able to bring so many people over. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's a, that's like an apprehension from a lot of, or, you know, what's man- the apprehension that their fans won't pay for it. Yeah. It's uh, their, their management teams or whoever's behind, you know, supporting them saying, well, you know, this stuff has been given away for free for so long. Will the fans respond? And well, the there's only the day, one way of finding, there's only one way of finding that out. Right. And did the, did the fans respond? Yeah, tremendously for both of them. Um, uh, Katie's thing. I mean, I think with Katie, the way that she did it, her album had come out. Um, so there was so much momentum behind that album. Mm-hmm. She, I think, exceeded everyone's expectations of what it would sell in terms of tickets and, and how many people. Yeah, that's awesome. I, do, I mean, I do think their fans want to support their artists and 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever that level of artists is charging is perfectly reasonable. And it's like, they're not at the venue where they charge that much for a fucking beer, man. I know. I, and <laughs> I think you're, I think that's like such a good point. Like that is such a huge thing of like, I think fans also, you know, we started, we started this with the idea of like wanting to, help artists replace some of that lost income mm-hmm. and the fans are very much like right there with us. And oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Even with the crews. I mean, buy this t-shirt for the crew. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I love it. If it weren't for the crew, you guys wouldn't be on stage. Like, let's do this. You know, what right. can I, what can I do to help? You know? Right. That's what um, Japanese. Can you, 
Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Japanese breakfast. She did that with hers. She her stream. I mean, it was that was our biggest one. It was so early on in May when she did hers. It was our our biggest one to date in in like May 18th or something. And mm-hmm. all that money went to her band and crew. So it's been a great way to raise money for uh, not just the artists, but causes of their choice too. Can you give a sense of what, how many people tuned in to Japanese breakfast? Um, I could say a lot. <laughs> is the metric that roll is the metric that they mentioned in Rolling Stone magazine that's floating around that it's, you know, uh, it's a half a percent to 2% of Instagram, Instagram followers generally watch these shows. Yeah. Uh, we say one to 2% of whatever their most followed social media account is most and followed. Yeah. I mean, I said Instagram cause that, that usually is the one, right? Totally. No, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, for her, yeah. for most of the artists that we're, we have. Yeah. Right. But you know, they, um, they, uh, Japanese breakfast and Whitney and, uh, Waxahachie, they all exceeded those numbers. They exceeded the one to two percent. Yeah, like yeah. what's the highest percentage of that that you've seen? Uh, we've gotten close to ten percent. Really? That. Wow. Yeah, wow. which is uh-huh. so. I mean, it's it's a good it's a good indicator for those that want to know. I'm always curious, like who's tuning yeah. in. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a good baseline, I think. Yeah, it's a good like baseline to set. Yeah, yeah. So talking about numbers and talking about viewers, uh, what's the business been like? Um, it's been, it's been, October has been our best month to date. It's, it's, we've sold a lot of tickets, um, over the past few months. Let me mention too, when I'm talking about the business and we haven't spoken about this, but you make it free for artists. Right. Um, and then artists can charge what they want and, they pay you. Uh, the um, uh, fans pay through your through Noon Chorus. Correct. You get that back to the artist, and then you charge a fee. Why don't you talk a little bit about that structure, if I got it right? I just kind of wanted to say that I knew what the structure was. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> uh, no, you nailed it. It's, um, I guess it's, it's artist-driven, right? So yeah. um, we give advice as to what we've seen work and not work. But um, yeah, Can the I artist gets fifty dollars a person. Maybe that's pushing. Mm-hmm. May yeah. you never know. Yeah, yeah. look at the Malgats. I mean, their their two show package is about that. So, um, no, but they yeah they get to choose. The artist gets to choose, or their teams get to choose what they want to charge. Um, I would say the average ticket price is well, the average ticket price is around thirteen dollars and change before our service fee, um, and that seems to be going up uh, closer to 15 as the production value has gone up. So those, those are kind of correlated. Um, we charge a service fee on top that is passed on to the viewer, very similar to um, your standard uh, ticket purchase and, you know, physical ticket purchase. Um, How much is that? What's the percentage generally been? It's about 20%. Um, and that covers, all the credit card processing, the sales tax. Um, there's a cost per viewer to enter the stream. Um, the PRO licensing, so that all the music is able to be performed legally and everyone's yep. being compensated the correct way. And then a percentage that goes to us. So if the artist chooses a $10 ticket to sell to their fans, um, that's what's advertised to the fan. Uh, they collect 100% of that 
So every ticket they sell, they get $10. There's no split or reduction for processing fees or anything like that. It's all covered through our fee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, have fans like, gone, oh, fuck, service fees. You guys are like fucking Ticketmaster. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I think okay, like, okay. I, think I, mean, I, them, I, did, I didn't do that. I'm just making that up. I, I think it's, it's like a question everyone asks, but like uh, we could bake it in, but that would be a high. I, I think what's really our model is that it's artist friendly and we want to be transparent. It's like what the fan is giving to the artist, you know, and mm-hmm. the small percentage that we take, um, it just allows us to keep, to keep running this. So that's really, you know, that's really the point of it. Yeah. I like the transparency. I like that. You're saying that the money's going to the artists. Um, and you know, you guys can need to make money and you're bringing this to, to the fans. Is there, um, is there a chat mechanism on noon chorus? Yeah. There's a chat, um, the chat on the video player. So you can chat throughout the, throughout the show. Um, right. The artist can decide if that's something they want to, um, to have or not. But mm-hmm. going back and, to like the Morby and the Waxahachie ones, they're such storytellers, you know, they, they're interacting with the chat the whole time. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah. That's no, that you, super cool. That you never I, get to see. I watched the, I watched Trey Anastasio last night from the cool. beacon. Nice. And apparent, and you know, he does this really cool thing where, um, I've only seen one. I've only seen Phoebe Bridgers do this. Who you need to get on Noon Chorus? Would love to. She's, um, she's hard she's, to pin down right now. She's yeah, everywhere. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> spectacular. And if you're a fan, watch uh, what she did uh, at the Troubadour. Watch that Troubadour. Set. I it's did. Really yeah, cool. that was. Yeah, yeah, that was really. Yeah, really amazing. Yeah. Um, so Trey, they they turn just instant. You know, parenthetically, they turn it around so that the venue is in back. So he's like facing the back wall of the venue. So when they show him, you can see the, um, you can see the venue behind him, which is a great backdrop instead of just all the typical show background. Yeah. Right. So the drum riser, like you think like, Oh, don't, if he, if he falls backwards, he's like falling into the seats basically. I mean, I'm sure there's some space back there, but it freaked me out. But the reason why I mentioned Phoebe is not only because she'd be great on noon chorus, but, um, the only other artists I've seen do that, and like I haven't seen every stream, but Phoebe uh, set up her band. They did a Red Rocks show, and I don't know if they do every live show at Red Rocks, but it was like up in the stands, like near where the soundboard is in yeah. Red Rocks. So they were shooting it up into Red Rocks instead of like just showing the stage from the typical stands perspective, which is cool. But right. you don't usually you don't see a show where someone's like on where the soundboard is, looking upwards at those two huge, huge monoliths on either side. And that's what you want. It was that's what super you want fucking see. cool. Like, let's do like super cool, original, different shit. Let's see if you're going to do it in venues. Like, let's do venues in a different way. Like, you know, then you don't feel oh, so yeah. sad that I like the the direct um, the ability for artists to do something different to fans. Like, let's make this about how is this going to be different? Like we know this is the era of COVID Mm -hmm. you're in an empty venue. Okay. You know, there's, it's like the no clapping right afterwards, but let's recognize that there's something that could be done. That's even more and like super fucking cool on top of just getting to your fans. I agree. Like take, take full advantage. I mean, this sucks, right? We can't be there. We can't. Yeah, we, well, we haven't said that enough here, but that's kind of a fucking given at this point. This yeah, is bullshit. That, this, <laughs> but this it sucks. is what it is, right? It is like, what let, it is. We acknowledge that, and I think um, 
But like, let's take advantage of the fact that, oh, maybe we can use these spaces creatively. I mean, Devendra Banhart, Angel Olsen, they both did some incredible streams. Devendra yeah. did one at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater in LA. And he had mm-hmm. like the puppets performing with him. And Oh, that's fucking uh, cool. Yeah, it was it uh, it was it was so cool and so I weird. Didn't, I didn't see it. Why don't you explain a little bit? It's like little like marionettes or something like that. Or yeah, little marionettes were like dancing on the stage with him. And that, cool. I saw Beck do that once at a huge, uh, like um like a college basketball stadium tour. Oh wow! He, did it. he was at UIC, didn't you? Maybe you were at that show. Was it when you were in Chicago? I saw you a lot Chicago. of shows. I saw a lot yeah. of shows down there, but I don't know if I saw. I didn't see Beck down there he did like a little puppet show on the side, which was imitating what he did. And that was on like the video screen. What album was, was that for? That was, it was for the information. Okay. It was super S- fucking cool. That sounds was, awesome. Yeah. It was really <laughs> wild. So instead of like the, vi- there was, I think there was a video screen instead of the video screen showing him, it would just show the, this little marionette puppet show that was mimicking the motions of the artists on that were on the stage. Yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, so he, so Devendra did this kind of thing and in LA and they're doing like different unique things and it's super cool. Yeah, I think like, well, I think it brings up like a broader point is like the one, one of the upsides to this is that you can see artists in um, maybe venues that they, they're too big to perform at now. We just had Pup, last night do something from sneaky D's in, in Toronto, which is like, a. I, I mean, I personally don't know the venue that well, but the way that they were describing it, it's like something like the bottle in Chicago mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, these venues that are like legendary, but the band's just too big to perform there now, you know, they're going to play at bigger, bigger places. Right. So the band can go back to this place that meant so much to them and is so important to them. Yeah, or like totally. the hideout in Chicago. We had um, Tweed, Jeff Tweedy do like his book release with Nick Offerman from there. Right. Like, yeah. the, Wilco or Jeff Tweedy can't go play it in the hideout anymore in Chicago. It's it's. Yeah. But that place is so important to music and the culture of Chicago and and Wilco um, that that you know that is a big. That's totally really cool do you to see, me. That, do you see that as a trend, like artists trying to come back to that or? I mean, I, I, yeah, definitely. I think so. And, and, or, and unique spaces, but especially with the venues is like, they understand how important that ecosystem is to be Mm -hmm. there when they, when we go back to some sort of normal. So for them, especially these bigger artists um, that have maybe moved past those size rooms to come back and, and say, no, these, these places are what make this all possible. Like we would not be here if it was not for these places. And they need to, they need to come back. They need to right. stay, stay that's alive. A, I mean, that's a, that's the statement they're making. Does it in fact help the art? Like, does it help the venue? I mean, it, it's still, it maintains the level of visibility for the venue, but unless the venue is getting donations or Tweety is like donating the entire uh, amount of his, uh, of, of ticket revenues to them, it's, uh, you know, well, I mean, the interesting thing about these is like they we we offer a co-promotion program so venues can co-promote shows and specifically for these ones that we're talking about the venues like the Hideout for example was the hosting venue so they essentially got to sell tickets. Um in fact, the Hideout 
and ourselves, we have, they, they host all their virtual programming on noon course. So, um, but uh, for that particular event, you know, they got to sell tickets for an event and, and earn revenue. So them doing, right. you know, them doing that in partnership with the hideout rather than just doing it on their own is right. I think incredibly helpful. Yeah, for, for sure. From that standpoint. Yeah. So you provide, so if they're able to sell tickets for Jeff, they can make a deal with Jeff. Maybe, you know, in that instance, perhaps he's like donating it all to the high. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, then, I don't know. The, then you're providing the front end and noon chorus. Do you have a lot of these partnerships that are out there? Um, affiliates, if you will. Um, and how, what is that looking like in terms of working with venues, et cetera, and getting some of those like brick and mortar, uh, elements yeah, invo- involved in streaming. Um, so there's, I think there's kind of two, two side or two things at play here. So there's one, the one is, um, like the hideout example. Mm-hmm. Uh, another partner of ours is La Poisson Rouge here in New York, LPR TV. They just launched something as well. Um, both the hideout and LPR are powering their, um, platforms via noon choruses ticketing and video players so both of those event or both of those venues are hosting live shows from their venues with no one there um, Mm -hmm. and being able to sell tickets to the public again um lpr what i think is kind of cool about this is like in lpr lpr's case and hideout's case two very big music cities in new york and chicago and no one can really travel right now so you're getting all these new york-based artists coming to this venue that is very important to the city and performing there and they're able to live stream them and, and sell tickets. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's do more of that. I know we, we want to do more and more of that. Um, and there's all sorts of hurdles to get around of course, but it, you know, for both of them, it's been a really, I mean, from our standpoint, it's been incredible to be able to work with both of them. We, we, as a, as all of us that work at noon chorus, we're like, mm-hmm. um, those two venues are so important to us as in our sort of musical tastes and, and yeah, how yeah. it came up. Um, what, what are, what are some of the biggest, uh, the hurdles you mentioned in working with the venues? Well, I mean, New York and Chicago are, are two of the biggest cities in the country. They're cultural hubs. A lot of artists live there. So it's very easy for them to tap into the talent that's there. Um, but for like a venue in, um, Boise, Idaho, um, there may not be sort of uh, these artists that there's artists there and there's wonderful artists there and incredibly talented folks. But what I'm trying to say is they're not, um, these sort of nationally recognized where they can sell enough tickets to make it lucrative enough to maybe bring a staff back and, and, and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I think there's hurdles in that sense where perhaps right now it's I don't want to limit it, but I think perhaps it is limited to major markets where there is sort of a higher density of art of, of nationally recognized artists living in those cities. So I think, yeah, it's almost like a perpetuation of what the actual real problem is. Right. I mean, like smaller venues in smaller towns that don't have the artists that can just hop across town and go put on a show at a venue to support that venue. Um, You know, unfortunately, yeah, I see. So the challenges that you're facing are really endemic to the pandemic. <laughs> Correct. Really. And that's that's in that example. But there is a way for venues in those scenarios to still participate. So we have essentially an affiliate marketing program where we 
we have worked with over 200 promoters and venues worldwide. Um, they uh, can participate in any of our shows. They get a split of each ticket that they sell. So we create them a unique link and we're able to track their ticket sales and they can go and promote that via their channels to their fan base or their customer base. Um, so they could sell, say, the Japanese breakfast show that's on Noon Chorus or they could sell the Mountain Goat show that's on Noon Chorus or whoever is performing. And in exchange for every ticket that they sell, they get ticket revenue for that. Um, hmm. What that And it's, you know, it, it kind of benefits everyone involved. The artist is going to inevitably sell more tickets um, because they're involved in these promoters. So uh, Noon Chorus then sells more tickets and then the venue gets to drive ticket revenue. But also, I mean, I think it's like a dead zone right now. So they also get to continue to um, stay in the conversation, work with the, the, and maintain the relationships that they've had for years and, and, and continue promoting to their customer base and say like, it's, it's also a platform for them to put their message out that, Hey, we need to stick around. We need to be here when we come back. It's, it's a way to, you know, to, to continue that message as well. So a venue will work with a particular artist and then set a ticket price con- together with that artist. I'm not, I'm, I'm a little confused. Yeah. So the way it works is um, the artist sets up a show with noon chorus, right? right. So um, who do we have doing it right now? Um, I mean, almost all the artists on the platform, but let's say uh, pop last night, they had like 30 promoters throughout the country that were co-promoting the show each one of those promoters um, and pup is selling the tickets on noon chorus for $13. Let's mm-hmm. say um, pup has said to the promoters, okay, we'll give you um, X amount of dollars for every ticket that you sell to this show. And in the way that we track those sales is each one of those promoters gets a unique link. So it'll be noonchorus.com backslash first ab or something like that. And then, or backslash 930 club or, or the troubadour or whatever it is. And they can go and sell tickets to pup to their fan base. And we can track how many say the troubadour sold and then we pay them out. So the promoters will get access to the people they think might be interested in this through their relationships with a particular venue. So the venue gets their name in there as well. Right. And then the promoter takes a cut uh, in, 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 um, in agreement with the artist, the promoter will get a piece of that. um, uh, The value of having their own fan base that they're hooked into that might be separate from the artist. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm also referring to promoters and venues kind of in the same as the same thing in a way. Yeah, a, I lot get of, that. Yeah. a lot of these venues um, have in-house, you know, it's like first ab is, is all their promoter, but also a venue. In right. A so right. that brings up another question. Like, so how many, how many fans are coming through promoters that wouldn't necessarily have come to see this artist directly through their socials? Because that's kind of really how fans are like following artists, right. Is through social media. Why would, I see it out of a promoter and an email from a promoter or a venue that I went to, but not have seen that at Instagram. And so is that happening? It is. I mean, we're at first um, it was around 25% of the artist's ticket sales were coming from those co-promoters. Huh? Uh, Okay. 
And there now it's now it's about <laughs> 10, 10 to fifteen percent, depending on the show, which is still a, a really decent number. Um, and I think, again, I think it's like the just as those these customers or fans want to support the artists, they also know they want to support the venues too. So they may yeah. they may know that the the venue is getting uh, something for selling that ticket, so they'll buy it through them instead. Or mm-hmm. you know they may not know Japanese breakfast, but they trust, um, you know, this promoter venue to always put on good music and promote shows that they like. So they're going to buy something that they may never. That's an, heard yeah. Of. That's an excellent point. That's why. Yeah. Excellent point. You know, if you've seen a show at a particular venue and then they're kind of saying, Oh, well this, this artist is doing this and, um, through, through us, you should come see them. And Oh, by the way, noon chorus is hosting it on the internet. So come right. do this. And right. check that out. Yeah. It makes a lot exactly. of sense. Um, the most interesting thing is that this is sort of the setup for the future, right? I mean, you're not going to fold up shop when, you know, once we go back to shows and the question, when do you think we're coming back to shows? Just cause I'm interested in talking to people <laughs> in the industry as to what, what each person particularly thinks. I mean, it's not kind of a secret of what's going on. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. That's I, that, that I think is, the best answer that you get because I mean, we can, we could talk for hours about this, but like, yeah, less. I, <laughs> I think that, uh, <laughs> I think we're very hopeful that like once the year ends, like things are just going to be back to normal. Like 2021 is just going to bring like normalcy back. But I mean, that's just, that's, not, that's what we thought in like April. <laughs> I know. So that's just not how things work. And right. unfortunately also what we're seeing is, I mean, it's part of the beauty of this country. It's part of the thing that's not beautiful about it, but we each state, each county, each region has very different rules about and and how how things are being handled. And I mean, we've we're just we've just seen that over the past few months. So yeah. it's not gonna be some flip of a switch that no, everything that everything comes back um at once. And therefore, how do you route a tour around that? You know? Um how do you route a tour if like you Philadelphia has cases spiking and the the venues aren't open, but New York is open. Um, You know, it's not going to be financially responsible for an artist to go on tour unless they can, you know, they can hit a certain amount of dates. And I mean, the margins are thin as they are with that. Interesting point. Right. With so many different regulations going on across the country to be able to actually schedule a tour across the country. It'll, you know, you can't just do lowest common denominator because the lowest common denominator is going to be different in each state. You've got to wait until there's a general baseline where everyone's going back to shows at the same time. And then there's a two to three month lead time out of that. I know. So when we first finished this whole fucking thing, when we first started this whole fucking thing and everyone, you know, the first person said, we're not getting back to shows until 2021. It was, it was like, fuck. But now it like, it seems it's like we're that the bitter pill to swallow could be longer. Um, that said, so noon chorus is in a great position because this could go on forever. It's not like I, I, I would like yeah. to think, cause I know you a little bit by now that you're not like, Oh yeah, let's, Oh, I hope this goes on for so long. I'm not, I'm not. I but think because me- let's, let's talk about, this is the future. This could, this could be an integral part of the future of the fan experience and how fans experience uh, the work of their favorite artists 
online, but you know, maybe you just don't even say online anymore. You just say, this is how we're experiencing music. Um, if you're not going to a show, right. if you're not physically there. And if you can't, right. Like what if, what if your venue, local venue is closed or, or you're living in an area that you can't have shows, what are you going to do? So ideally, you know, live streaming continues to help connect fans to their favorite artists even when things come back, because I don't think they're go- it's it's going to be a very sort of staggered path, uh, crooked path back to normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally, live streaming is going to help facilitate, continue to facilitate those connections. I think on top of that, it's like, it's also going to be, I would, I, we see it as something that will stick around even when things are normal. I think we, we talked about this in the beginning. There's been many bands that have proven that live streaming is successful during pre-COVID, you know, like yeah, live streaming yeah. their shows. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, not everyone has to have the, like, film crew, like Fish does, that travels with them to make it happen. Venues are investing in it. Ticketing companies are, are anticipating this being a big thing. I mean, the, the infrastructure is being put in place for it to be available to um to artists that are not fish you know yeah right (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um i think that's going to be super interesting and and i think it'll be great i mean if if i live in buffalo new york or a small town and um angel olsen skips over buffalo she goes from new york to toronto instead of stopping through buffalo like at least i can still watch a show because she's live streaming it from one of those venues yeah. I mean, it is sort of a net positive in a sense. I mean, you want to make, uh, you want to make lemon out of pandemic, pandemic aid out of lemons to quote, roughly <laughs> quote Dre from last night. It's like, it, it is what it is. It's good. Um, you know, we got to do what we have to do and good things are going to come out of it in a sense. Yeah. And you're kind of right at the forefront of being able to do that. And, um, yeah, clearly a lot of live music has been streamed before. Um, but in general, this live streaming um, phenomenon and uh, and the business opportunities therein could st- would stick around. And how do you see it kind of changing the face of music going forward? I mean, you um, mentioned a couple of things already. I, I just think that it'll, I, I think that, again, I think like the whole point of us starting this was, hey, this works for other genres why can't this work for all genres in music why why isn't everyone implementing this um and i think this unfortunate situation that we're in is proving that that it that that that's doable and that it's can be successful for for everyone Mm -hmm. Um, so i really think that's going i i mean that's what we expect and that's what we hope is that this is just a tool that people can use uh, be, when when things come back to normal on top of what we are already used to at live shows um because i think it's been proven in in other in other genres and i think um i mean i think we have a we have a whole host of ideas of how that's going to work um but i think it's going to be we truly hope that it's going to be a great way for not just artists but venues to make up for lost revenue due to reduced capacities. So, I mean, probably the first thing we're going to see, like we're seeing in restaurants, like we're seeing in most public spaces, is some sort of reduced capacity. And 
I think we, you and I both know, like a venue can't mm-hmm. have a show unless they're at full capacity. It's not there. The margins aren't there to do it. So right. what can they do to make up for that? Um, ideally live streaming can be a great way to make up for some of that lost income. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, venues aren't going to just wait until we get have a full out, full sold out show Shit, or whatever, no. or just fill the no. whole thing. No, they're going to start to do this limited capacity. So what you're suggesting is that uh, streaming can venues partnering with noon chorus, for example, in the best case scenario would uh, be able to stream the show using either your, uh, um, your hardware or their hardware they're already set up and then just stream it through your service and create a revenue stream that can augment what they have in house at that time. That's kind of happening a little bit with drive-in shows right now, I think. Yeah, we've done, we've streamed some drive-in shows. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I mean, we're doing one, we're we're streaming some in-person shows too with St. Paul and the broken bones, for example, where they're doing a, a show from, uh, their hometown or yeah, Birmingham. I, yeah, I think. Right. And, um, sorry, there's, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> even with yeah, it's, it's Okay. I'm not, I'm not keeping, I'm not keeping score, but anyway, um, maybe, maybe I should here. Hold on. Let me tell you that one. <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, they, they have a reduced capacity show. They're performing their first album. Um, and we're streaming it so that, you know, that's that in-person show is going to sell out. So right. we're, you know, we're going to, we're, where do you think demand fan demand will be when there's an opportunity to go back to a show? Um, do you think fan demand, where do you think that fan demand is going to be when they could see an artist at a show, but the art they're playing either like at the next city or they're doing something at home. Do you think there'll be less demand? Is that any kind, is that a question that's sort of come up? I mean, definitely. I mean, look at, look at movies, like movie, um, movies were coming back to major theaters. Mm -hmm. Um, there was all this buzz around tenant being like the thing that was going to save the movie industry again. And, um, I don't think people are fully comfortable with it yet. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, um, I don't, so that's going to happen. There's going to be some, um, what is the word like PTSD or something from, from this? I think people understandably will be cautious going back to shows. But what I'm saying is that do you, where do you think that fan demand Mm. and interest will be in seeing multiple shows? If an artist is kind of performing a limited capacity venues. So you go to the show, you know, where do you think fan demand is going to be going down the road to see that artist again? And, will live shows kind of be eating into noon chorus at some point, or what are your thoughts on where that's going to go in the future in terms of demand? I'm sure you've thought about that. Yeah. Um, we have, we've thought a lot about it and how to like structure it. I think, um, we, for most of our shows, it's, we talked about that one to 2% of the artists following that are kind of coming by the tickets. Yeah. 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 One to 2% of their biggest social. I think that's always going to, I think that's their super fans. Those are the diehards. I think if they're offered something um, to, to see that artist that they love, I mean, I was this way um, maybe, maybe less so now, but when I was younger about certain artists, like I would, I would consume anything that they were doing. Right. 
Like yeah. when I was in What's high the band school, that comes into your mind right away? Anything that like Radiohead did when I was in high school, it was just like, right like, like, just like, let me, you know, like, you know, have more of that. Right. So I think right. there's like, I think that ex- that's, that's the beauty of fandom, I think. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, I hope uh, for both the artist's sake, for Nuncore's sake, for the venue's sake, that that continues to exist. And I mean, I think our, our numbers in terms of ticket sales have proven that I think people were like, is there going to be a live stream fatigue? And it's definitely not the case. Like people are still tuning in and those, those super consistent numbers and that's encouraging. Yeah. Hardcore fans definitely want to see, see whatever they can of the artist. And um, it opens up a lot of artistic opportunities for the artist as well. Yeah. In addition to coming back to into shows, I mean, ultimately when this is all said and done and we're going back to, you know, full capacity, hopefully shows, um, or just, you know, we're going back kind of like whatever pre COVID was, you know, post vaccine, pre COVID, uh, venues, um, artists will still, you know, to have this direct to fan link is, um, really an interesting opportunity for artists and it opens up so many different artistic avenues for them. I mean, do you, do you sort of see a place for noon chorus providing that for, um, for artists? When I they, think that's after a, yeah. touring comes back? I think that's a really good point because like, this is one of the things that at first it was an education process talking to managers and artist teams about like the benefits of, of, ticketed live streaming. Now it's become more of the norm, but I think the big, not not an argument, but like one point that our managers would make is like for so long, this type of content has been given away for free. Why are our fans going to want to pay for it? But I think we've proven that fans are willing to pay for it to support these artists. So to your point, I think that it doesn't just have to be these shows that are streamed from venues when they're on tour, but Live streaming can be this perfect tool for an artist to like in between tour cycles, we have some new material that we want to debut. Um, we're going to, we're going to live sh- do this ticketed live stream event. Um, and we can do something incredibly creative. We can do something visually stunning from a unique location. And the, t- the ticketed portion can help cover that production. And now they own this beautiful piece of content that they can that they, you know, that the artist can use again and again and again. So I think that's really, you're making an excellent point here with the, it opens up so many more opportunities for us to see incredible sort of visual content online um, by having the the ticketed option. Yeah, absolutely. And COVID was obviously pushed everyone in this direction, right? I mean, yeah. Is this, is this something that ultimately adds value to the music industry? Um, Like is COVID kind of helping push the music industry in a more positive direction ultimately? I, I mean, I think there's a bunch of ways to answer that question. I hope, I hope like from the artistic standpoint, I, I think definitely that like this is a way for artists to fund more creative pieces mm-hmm. of content right yeah. but i i hope i hope that this somehow highlights the inequity that exists in the music industry right now the fact what that if- artists have have to rely on being on the road for 
that some artists have to rely on being on the road for 200 days a year seems insane that they have to basically give away their recorded music for free. Um, the dividends that are paying from that are just, you can't rip off that. And that's, that's being proven, right? right so right. Where, where do we expect our most treasured art form to, to go if, if you can't make a living off of it? Anymore. Yeah, I mean, it certainly provides a different avenue for artists to to get to their fans and also to generate yeah. revenue from their artistic efforts, and that's uh, you know clearly really advantageous for the artists. There's a whole sector of people in the live music environment that are kind of not working and work primarily because artists are on the road. So look, streaming is phenomenal and it's, but it's going to change. How do you see it changing the face of, okay. How do you say changing the music environment and ecosystem, uh, agents, roadies, tech people. Um, I want them to keep working I'm not saying that I don't think artists should not be streaming, but certainly, you know, there's kind of a disruption that's potentially occurring in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, we were with the contentment camping business, we were kind of part of that industry in a way, right? We were one of the many vendors that made up a music festival, you know, a music festival. They don't just, they don't just like own everything and roll it out. It's made up of thousands of, independent contractors that come together to put something incredible on for people. That's all on halt right now. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have the answer for that. I think it's, I, I, I come from that. So I understand that. And my, my colleagues and community, those are that that's, that's everyone I I know they're out of work. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're live event contractors and they're all, you know, it's terrible, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how I, I hope that somehow streaming and live shows can work together. Um, I want that to come back as quickly as the rest of us do though. Um, from a personal yeah. standpoint. Yeah. I guess it just made me think about that when you're like, artists don't need to tour 200 days out of the year. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, I, if I all artists know. stop touring, then we're sort of like at the same place where we are now. No, I don't think that's what I, I think. What I'm trying to say is like there, there's some imbalance in um, perhaps the recorded music and and the touring music. Like I think um, there, there's still going to be the desire and and idea that artists want to be to to schedule these types of tours, but mm-hmm. when they're not on tour. Um, and they, they're, they're not earning money from other sources than touring when it does come to a halt. It does, it does underscore that there is a problem there, I think. Well, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or there's an opportunity for them to continue to put their music out to, uh, to their fan base and have a way to do that. So in, in, in essence, you're, the entire thing is still trying to be, it's, it's still shaking out we're not really at the end of wherever we're going with this, but in the meantime, uh, fans are getting to see artists, artists are getting to perform and 
we're going to see where that goes. I think this is all kind of an evolving thing and it's super interesting and it's even more yeah. intriguing that you, the amazingly timely transition that you made in your own <laughs> career to get out of glamping at festivals and move, <laughs> move into this. So that's a little suspicious timing there, Andrew, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was uh, fortunate and timely. Right. I know. I, I, feel like the like the devil's sitting right on the other side of the table here. It's like holding up the contract. You signed here, man. <laughs> well, listen, this has been really, really interesting. Um, uh, I wish you continued success with Noon Chorus. I know I'm watching a ton of the streams there, and I hope that everyone, that people continue to do that, man. I really, uh, I really wish you luck in that. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been it's been really nice to to chat. This yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this a lot, man. And um, hopefully, you'll come back on at some point uh, in the future and update us and <laughs> let us know to. what's going on, man. And we I can get um, Alex on next time too. He's a, that'd be great. Yeah, to have both of you guys in there yeah. and let's 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 talk a little more about the tech. I'll try to just roll off my sleeves and uh, pretend <laughs> like I know all about that stuff, but I'm sure I'll learn a ton about a ton from him. Anyway, man, thanks a lot for being on Roadcase. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, well, there you have it. Andrew Jensen of the streaming service Noon Chorus on Roadcase. Really interesting to hear Andrew talk about how he's kind of providing his own words, a home for artists to perform for their fans under these uh, really fucked up times during the show stoppage because of COVID. Um, not really sure if we're looking at the future of music or we're looking at different types of opportunities for the future. I know it's going to be something different. I don't know what shows are going to look like when they come back. I can kind of imagine that, uh, you know, as we talked about, they might be a reduced capacity kind of scenario and there might be more people tuning into streams from home and uh, Noon Chorus streaming service will be right at the center of that for the artists that uh, tend to gravitate towards that particular service. So. Uh, it's definitely interesting for the future. Um, I don't know what the future holds, but uh, streaming very well uh, could be a part of, um, of how we tend to experience shows going forward. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Roadcase. I'd like to remind you to get involved with Roadcase. You can email me with your questions, comments, concerns at info at roadcasepod. Uh, please follow us on our socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're at roadcasepod. If you can do so and are able to support this podcast on Patreon, we have a Patreon site at patreon.com slash roadcasepod. Uh, again, I'd like to thank Andrew Jensen for being on Roadcase. I'd like to thank Walter for this fantastic theme music that we have. And I'd like to thank all of you for joining us. So we've got a lot of great episodes coming up on Roadcase, and we'll see you on the road.